I'm going to be reading from Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did, not, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a, a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she said, Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, it is uh, our desire again that you would help us to listen. Um, Lord, you are here, and that is something that we barely comprehend, that astounds us when we begin to think of what that means. And you are speaking to us. Um, and Lord, we want to give all of our attention, all of our focus, all of our heart to hearing you. But we also know our weakness, so we once again ask that your spirit would be very present, helping me to uh, speak, helping us to hear, 
uh, that together we would be made into the people you've called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if you've uh, sensed this from um, the last couple of weeks, but Ruth is one of my favorite books. Uh, I think part of it is because there's something about it that is just so human about it. Maybe you felt the same way. This is not a book that has massive miracles where waters are being parted. There's not dramatic visions of God or, or prophetic words. Every, everything about this book is stuff that we kind of can relate to, right? Um, it's, it's a story about grieving and, and loneliness and, and worried about, worry about getting enough food on the table and, and finding a job. And that's, I think, really the, the point of how Ruth is written. In some ways, what happened was, you know, one of the sections of, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, uh, the, the writer of Ruth decided, I'm going to actually tell one of those begat stories, one of those small details. Let me tell you how this happened, so that we can have a glimpse into how God works in the normal details of life. And what I've invited you to consider in the last couple of weeks is that, that this story has subtly shown us that in these details we are seeing things about God. That, that in the first chapter, as Naomi comes home brokenhearted, we see God's stubborn faithfulness in bringing Ruth. And, and just as Ruth said, I am not going anywhere but to stay with you to Naomi, so also God says that to us. And, and last week, as as we see Boaz's attention to Ruth and the way that he cares for her, we're meant to see that's actually how God is towards us. As, as God is guiding Ruth to just the right place and, and, and leading Boaz to care for her this way, this is how God pays attention to us. We're meant to see in this really plain account how God is involved in these plain details. And, and at the very end of last chapter, Naomi begins to get this as well. You, you might remember, after starting just kind of despairing, by the end of the chapter, she speaks of realizing that God has been faithful to her. Her eyes are open, and she sees, yes, God is in the details of my life. And yet, and this is so true of us as well, even as she begins to understand that God is there and is loving, there's still so much that she needs to understand about her role in response to that. She still hasn't figured out that part of what this means of trusting God means waiting on his timing. And that really is at the heart of this chapter. To understand what's going on in this chapter, let me just back up briefly to something that happened at the very end of chapter 2. You might remember as Naomi is all excited, she says, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And, uh, what does she mean by that? Well, in that day, there wasn't insurance, right? There, there wasn't insurance for your farm. There, there wasn't a welfare system, which meant someone could go from prosperity to poverty practically overnight, whether it was a famine or a fire, or if the husband dies and there's no heir, as in this case. And so God, in his just laws, declared, here's what we're going to do. He said, if someone is having to go to the point where they have to sell their lot, sell their field, which essentially means that they are putting themselves in poverty without any hope of rescuing themselves from it, then a kinsman redeemer will be needed. That is, a family member who, who is able will buy back that land. If someone sold into slavery, will buy back that person from slavery. And if someone is a widow without an heir, potentially that person will marry that person 
to make sure these people are redeemed, these, this kinsman will redeem these people from poverty and bring them back into provision. So when, when Naomi is saying Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, what Naomi is thinking is Boaz is your future husband. He is our ticket out of this situation. And she's filled with excitement. She feels like she sees exactly what God is doing. But then there's kind of this anticlimax that's very subtle. It says that Ruth continues to be staying with all of the workers throughout the barley harvest, throughout the wheat harvest, and then it says at the very end of chapter 2, and she continued to stay in the house of her mother-in-law. In other words, after six weeks of harvesting, still no proposal, still no engagement. It looks like nothing is happening. And I wonder if in that time of waiting, Naomi goes from this enthusiasm and this excitement, God is at work, to this, this confusion. What, what is God doing? I, I thought this was the plan, but nothing's happening. Have you ever had that? Where, where at one point you feel really encouraged and you start praying and you are expectant and then week after week goes and there is no fulfillment to prayer and you're waiting and you're confused. That, that's where Naomi is. And so, what Naomi does in this moment is draws the conclusion that she needs to move things along. She needs to kind of get ahead of God and make sure what needs to happen will happen. So she says at the very beginning of the chapter, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And this seems like a really positive movement. If you remember in chapter 2, she's just kind of like listlessly looking out the window, despairing. Now she's taking initiative, wanting to care for Ruth. But then you look and see what her plan is. Let's, let's just think about this plan for a moment. So she says, Ruth, Boaz is now threshing. He's going to be outdoors. He's going to be camping out overnight after he's done threshing. I want you to bathe, you know, get all of that gleaning grime off from your day out in the fields, put on some perfume, get your best clothing, and then come to the threshing floor and watch. And when Boaz, when he's done eating and having some drinks, and he goes to his spot by himself, gets some blankets, and, and lies down to sleep, once he's asleep, crawl over there stealthily so that no one notices, uncover his blankets, and lay at his feet and do whatever he tells you. This is Mother's Day, so let me just ask you who have daughters, can you ever imagine yourself giving that advice to your daughter? A few years ago, I had a friend who was in a dating relationship where it seemed like her boyfriend was taking forever to pop the question. Can you imagine if you were the mother of this friend of mine saying, okay, so here's what you do. Zach is camping tonight. And um, so I want you to put on your nicest dress, put on your perfume, look really pretty. And then when he retires, after he's had a few beers with his friends to his tent, climb in the temp, tent, lay next to him, and do whatever he tells you. <laughs> I, I underline this because we are sometimes so accustomed to reading the Bible and just assuming it's so different, we just go, oh, well, that's just a cultural context. Let me tell you, this means the same thing everywhere. <laughs> in fact... Moabites were known for being promiscuous. And the threshing floor was the place that prostitutes oftentimes would visit and offer their wares. So really, Naomi is, is actually saying, Ruth, I know you're a Moabite, and I know the ways of Moabites. 
use your seductive powers to make Boaz move forward. This is Act 3. Chapter 3 is Act 3, and there's a reason that it takes place almost completely in darkness, because there is something dark about this. There is something dangerous where what seems to be going in the right direction could easily be derailed, specifically because Naomi is wanting to move things forward at a quicker rate. In a sense, she is making the very same mistake she made at the very beginning. Do you remember at the very beginning when they are living in God's place, in the house of bread, that's what Bethlehem means, they're not getting food quickly enough, so they go to Moab to speed things along. And once again, because she's not getting things quickly enough, she goes to Moab, that is, to the ways of Moab to try to get this to move. And it's not good. But if you think about it, this desire to kind of speed things up for God is so often actually at the core of the way that we're tempted. This is not something unique to her. Why do we lose our temper? Isn't it that we sometimes sense that things are out of control or unjust, and rather than just kind of looking to God and allowing Him to resolve things, we want to take control right then? Or, or even think about things like ways that we sometimes will boast or even tear people down to make ourselves look better. It's because we don't trust our reputation in God's hands. We want to make sure things are fixed. Or if we're ever tempted to fudge some numbers, whether on a, on a business report or in our taxes, we want financial security, but we want it quickly, and, and we're not sure God is following our timing. Or perhaps even more specifically related to this, you know, in when we might be in a dating relationship and we are so afraid of being alone, we're willing to at times compromise ourselves rather than allowing God to provide in His timing. Do you see how easy it is, how common it is that, that what temptation does is it tells us to try to move ahead of God rather than to wait on His timing. And that's, that's what's happening here. And that's what Naomi is doing. Because it is hard. It is hard to actually believe the reality that God is right now here. And he actually cares about the details of our life. And he will provide. We, we are not sure about it. So we want to act. And so does Naomi. And, and she tells Ruth to do this. And Ruth, who is the ever-devoted daughter-in-law, responds by saying, All that you say, I will do. And, and I wonder as she's saying this, does she have any doubts? Is there any fear on her part about what this means and what, what, what's going to happen? What will, what will Boaz do? Well, we move now to, to the second scene as it's, it's evening, and it's just as we anticipated. Boaz has finished after a hard day of work. He and his friends have been gathering around a fire. A threshing floor usually is at the top of the hill because that's where the wind was most. To thresh, you need wind to separate the wheat from the chaff. And after they've had some drinks, it says after he's merry, you know, he's a little tipsy, but not too much. He's now going to sleep. He brings himself to a place where he's by himself, puts some blankets down, and he lies down. And when Ruth, who has bathed herself, perfumed herself, has put on her nice clothes, hears him clearly sleeping, she walks over very quietly and does exactly what Naomi says, pulls off the bottom of the covers, and lies down at his feet. 
And we're meant in this moment to wonder what is going to happen. What will Boaz do? Now, when we get to this kind of moment of tension, I, I love how there's kind of this, this humor injected. Perhaps you notice it when it was being read. So in the middle of the night, it says that Boaz shivers. That's one way of trying. You know, and it makes sense. I mean, have you ever had it when your feet are uncovered? You, know, you get cold. So he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he reaches down to, to move the covers, and it says, and behold, a woman was there. And so you can just imagine his hand kind of pulling back and suddenly he notices that there's breathing and he, and he smells the perfume and he asks the question all of us would probably ask, who are you? And that really actually is the important question. Who, who is this? Is this Ruth the Moabite who, according to Naomi's plan, will, will use seduction to try to, to move him along? Or is this Ruth the faithful one who has entrusted herself to God, who is actually pursuing that he does what is honorable? If you think about that question, who are you? That is, every time you and I are tempted, that's the question that's being asked. Who are you? Are you the person you used to be who are just going to take things in your own hands, whatever that matters? Or are you someone who is new, who, who will trust in God and trust in Christ, whatever that means? Who are you? Every time we're tempted, it's a question of our identity. And Ruth's response, well, it's kind of ambiguous. She answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So there's two ways that we could take this. You might remember in chapter 2, Boaz speaks of how Ruth has placed herself in the wings of God. That she has entrusted herself to God. And it could be that, that Ruth is intentionally alluding to that right now and saying, I have entrusted myself to God, and so I'm looking to you, Boaz, to marry me because that is what needs to happen for the sake of Naomi. This could be a statement of faith and virtue where she in some ways is diverting from Naomi's plans. But this could just as easily be translated, where it talks about spread your wing, it could just as easily be translated, open your robe and cover me which, of course, has different connotations. I don't even know if Ruth knows what she is meaning in this moment. But what is striking to me is that Boaz does. Think of what Boaz could do. There are, he has a few options. I mean, he could take advantage of her in that moment. That would be an understandable, I mean, we can understand how that might happen, but he doesn't do that. But he could do also the reverse and, and chasten her and says, this is highly inappropriate. I need you to leave right now. And because this is the kind of relation that seems to have developed, I need you not to return to my fields. But he doesn't do that either. Do, do you notice how he responds? He, he sees her. He looks beyond the impropriety of the moment and he sees what is driving this. He sees that she is being faithful uh, notice, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, this last faithfulness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. She, he realizes that what she is doing is out of service to Naomi, that she is seeking him because he is the kinsman redeemer. And, and notice how he describes her, now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy, or it could easily be translated, a virtuous woman. 
Can you imagine in this moment as she is lying at his feet, he says, I know you are such a virtuous woman. Because, because he sees her. Even in the midst of this potential impropriety, he sees her heart, what drives her, and he recognizes who she is becoming. Which is, by the way, one of the glorious truths that as we grow in Christ, we come to realize that that's how God is towards us. That, that you and I, in God's eyes, are no longer the sinner that we used to be. Yes, we still sin, but God sees who we are becoming, and He's able to delight in the beauty of who we are becoming. And even though there is sin because we are in Christ, He says, I see you, that you are a person of worth. And so does Boaz. He sees Ruth differently than Naomi does. And He, he leads her. He leads her in, in the right way way of responding. We're, we're in this tension throughout Ruth of if God is involved in the details of our life, what does that look like for us? And Naomi shows us two wrong answers. One wrong answer is to be passive and do nothing and just despair. That's how she was at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. But it's also wrong to just decide, hey, I'm going to take this completely in my own hands. That also is a lack of faith. And what we see with Boaz is neither of these, but rather an energetic, proactive waiting on God. Do you see what he says he's going to do? He says, I am going to do all that you ask. So he is energetically seeking. He knows what obedience looks like, and he is faithfully pursuing it. And yet, at the same time, what does he also say? May you be blessed by the Lord. As the Lord lives, there are no throwaway lines in Ruth. He is saying, this is in God's hands, not mine. And specifically, we see his obedience. He says, and this is something I'm sure Naomi knew but decided just to kind of overlook. There is someone who is closer to you in relationship. And really, he has the first right of refusal. Boaz, I suppose, in that moment could have said, let's just get married, but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be obedient to God. And God's rule says that should be a different way of doing this. Where he says, we first need to check with this other person. If this other person wants to marry you, then, then that will happen. D do you see that there's this combination of I'm going to pursue obedience, and yet I am not going to get ahead of God. Whatever God says, even if at the moment it doesn't make sense, I will submit to it, because ultimately it is God's hands, not mine, that will be taking care of you. There is this energetic, proactive, waiting on God. And what he is showing to Ruth and to us is this is the life of faith. So we get to the beginning of scene three. It's the dawn has broken. The danger in the moment has passed. What could have been a terrible thing where Boaz and Ruth move in the wrong direction instead is a pathway towards virtue. And, and Ruth as she is coming home, before she leaves, Boaz gives her six shares, and, and no one knows exactly what six shares is, but every commentator agrees it's a lot. Could be as many as 60 or 70 pounds. So we're talking about something where she might barely make it home with all of the, the food that she brings with her. And as she comes home, it's interesting. So Naomi asks a question, and, and, and most translations basically ask something like, how did it go? But actually, literally, and, and the oldest translations usually have it this way, Naomi is asking the question, who are you, my daughter? Isn't that interesting? The very same question that Boaz asked, Ruth is, I mean, Naomi is asking, who are you? Are you Ruth the Moabite who has used those skills to move things along? 
And Ruth, as she tells her story, reveals that she is someone different. That is not her. That she is someone who who has been trusting in God and waiting on Him and allowing things to take place. And then, uh, there's another interesting little detail. At the very end, she says, hey, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. In In other words, Boaz is wanting to communicate a message to Naomi, right? I want to make sure that your mother-in-law sees all of the food that I bring. And I wonder if what he is saying is, I know that Naomi's behind this trying to accelerate the process. And I want her to see how committed I am. You don't need to rush things. I think Naomi does see. In the very same way that in chapter 2, at the very end, she receives this gift and she recognizes God is here. So in this moment, as she receives this gift and recognizes Boaz's commitment, she understands how she should be. What does she say in response? Wait. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The man will not rest. If, if you want to have one, one verse that is really the heart of the application of Ruth, I think it's actually this. Wait, for he will not rest until the matter is settled. We've already mentioned, and, and, and Ruth is filled with the, the complexities of life. The fact that God is not always easy to see, and sometimes it seems the very opposite of God's presence. And, and we're tempted to respond in the same way that, that Naomi has responded, to respond sometimes in despair and hopelessness and believe that God is just not caring, He's not there. Or sometimes we can respond to temptation by trying to take things in our own hands. And, and the answer is, is neither of these. The answer is to hear God as He says, wait, wait, my son, Wait, my daughter, for I will not rest until the matter is settled. Because he has not rested, has he? He he gave his son to rescue you and me. And, And after that, each of our lives who have come to Christ, it's a story not of us figuring things out. It's a story of God coming to us, opening our eyes, and drawing us to Him. And every day since He has been working, He will not rest until the matter is settled, until all is made right, until you are whole, until this world is whole. He will not rest. And so He calls us proactively, faithfully, energetically, to wait on him. So, I invite us to respond in a time of silence, maybe even waiting on God, or even as we recognize ways that we haven't entrusted ourselves to God, to spend some time in prayer, some time in confession, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment's time. Would you please silently confess with me?
Father, you see our hearts far better than we even see ourselves. Lord, you, you know how frequent it is that we act as if you are not paying attention, um, that our emotions, our choices are guided by a sense that you do not love us, that you will not intervene and care for us. So often, how we are as we approach life is faithless. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness because we are wronging you. You have shown yourself to be faithful again and again, and yet so often we still doubt. And Lord, we ask not only for your forgiveness, but your healing. Would you please ever more deeply convince our hearts that you are here in the small details of our lives and that you will not rest until all is made right. And Lord, with that conviction, would you please teach us what it means to faithfully wait on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to be in this kind of time of celebrating the resurrection, I invite you to hear the good news of the gospel as it expressed in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.